So definitely welcome back. I hope you all had a nice little month off <laughs> from nothing. Um, so what what have you all been up to, Cortina? What have you been up to like this? Because you got the last part of the summer really off, and we're back. So what have you? What was your August like? Um, because because school started, you know, back like the first week, like the end of first week of August. So. Waking up at 5.30 in the morning, which is very different for me since I have a high schooler. Um, she's very active. So now having to drive to pick her up from here and there because she can't drive, obviously. Um, and just trying to reorganize my life. Uh, at the current moment, it's a bit overwhelming, um, but I'll get through it. So it hasn't really been like a break break <laughs> for me. It's been good because I've been able to see, all right, how am I going to fit all of this stuff into everything that I have to do? And so that's what I needed because we took a break from Herspiration Happy Hour, but 10 more things <laughs> added to the pot. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Louisa? What have you been up to the month of August? Uh, mainly working and trying to get the children prepped for school. Uh, also, doing voiceovers and stuff for the movie. Happy anniversary is finally coming out uh, September 24th on Amazon okay. Prime. So that's that's great. Yay. And um, so just just and um filming doing music video shoots, different things like that. I went for a model call because I'm thinking about getting back into modeling. So just a couple of different things. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm about, um, about to graduate September 16th from my Transformative Life Coach and Healing Leaders Play. So I just All right, to congratulations, me. congratulations. Oh my gosh. I feel like you all too. I took a break from the podcast and enjoyed the month, but oh, it was crazy. <laughs> I I feel like I hadn't spent much time at home because I was went from at what Atlanta to New York to Chicago. And then I was supposed to go to Vegas and I was like, oh no, I'm tired. Just not gonna do that. But now I am going to Detroit. But it's been a whirlwind between media and uh, you know, covering the Black Honor, you know, Black Media Honor Awards in Atlanta again. Well, you know, again, me being in Atlanta, because I went to Atlanta twice in August. Um, yeah, I'm, it's just been super busy, but enjoyable. My book sales are really good. My books uh, break barriers for my children's book releases Friday. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And, you know, it's it's really made a difference in being able to publish in those three languages. So, I mean, it's... It, I did the most unexpected thing, you know, especially as an as an independent author. And I will dare say also the first black children's book author to publish as an independent uh, multilingual book children's book series. So, okay. Yay. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's really been my time is just getting these books out and, you know, promoting these books and just doing a lot of media, but I've enjoyed it. I, I took a break, but now we're back. We are back <laughs> in full effect. We have, uh, you know, great guests. And I know at this point, if we still have to do introductions, I mean, I'll still run <laughs> around. Uh, <laughs> I, I think our fan base, you know, with all the people that has wanted to be a part of our podcast show now. It's it's as if people already know kind of who they are, but I am the unapologetic diva, Dr. G. I am Cortina Peters, AKA the girlfriend therapist. And I am Louisa Harrell, AKA Blue Phoenix. And guess what we are drinking today? What Ooh. are we sipping on today? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm of whatever we're drinking. It, it's it's a uh, uh, it's been rough, but we got a lot of alcohol in this one. So, 
<laughs> this one is actually pretty common. It's a Long Island iced tea. I picked that because it got a lot of alcohol in it. And then it's, it, it sneaks up on you, just like this past few weeks. The craziness has snuck up on us. So um, the ingredients for that is vodka. Then it, now for one serving of this, all these are half. Oh, she dropped off. Something happened. Uh-oh. Well, we know what's yeah. in the Long Island. <laughs> yeah, we do. every Look, everything is in the Long Island. And so, yes. you know, we would, you know, I'm sure when she comes back, we will, um, we'll hear the rest of it. But you know what? This is one of those things that happen when you when go live. <laughs> Technology is not always your best friend. But on that note, on Wednesdays and, you know, every time we podcast on Wednesdays, we like to recognize women who are our WCWs who are out here doing the damn thing. So, Cortina, who is your WCW for today? So my WCW, and I don't think we've ever, <clears throat> um, you know, recognized a nurse, but she's an RN who's actually been taking care of my dad. So my dad has had five nurses since he's been in the hospital, like different ones, day shift and night shift. And one of them I absolutely don't like at all. She's rude. She's short. She's dismissive. She shouldn't be a nurse if she doesn't like her job. Now, out of all of her nurses, I have one every time I call. She's like, hello, sunshine. You know, because I mean, they know me very intimately now. And so she is the best one anytime I need something. And she's his night nurse. Her name is Nurse Lauren, and she is on the second floor. So, like, I want to say that is two east for uh, St. Mary's Hospital. She has been absolutely phenomenal with helping me communicate messages, do everything that I, I need for my dad. And sometimes I know we know that COVID nurses work hard, but to actually be a part and experience her in action and just still her demeanor with, you know, communicating with the family and keeping us abreast on what's happening. I really want to um, give her a shout out because she is my WCW and I just really appreciate what she has done for me and my father while he's in the hospital. So that is my WCW nurse Lauren at St. Mary's hospital. Okay. Okay. What about you, Louisa? Who is your WCW today? I have it, and I want to apologize because I don't know what happened. I was just steady talking, talking, talking. I looked, and the screen was black. I'm like, now, wait a second. <laughs> well, my WCW is um, actually Nia the uh, Costa, the director of Candyman. She actually uh, became the first black female director to have a film on the top spot with uh, U.S. box offices. And so she made over 22 million, uh, Candyman made over 22 million over the weekend, which um, just came, that's the first spot, I believe, or came right behind A Wrinkle in Time with Ava DuVernay. So I just wanted to shout her out because this is her first film. You know, she worked with, um, oh goodness, uh, uh, Peel. Jordan Peel. Jordan yeah. Peel. I couldn't think of anything. And, you know, so it was really, really cool to have her out. And no one has really heard of her for real. I have actually heard of her because I did a, um, I researched her last year for some reason. I don't even remember why, but I did. And I'm, and it's really cool to see that uh, Candyman really just pushed her out there like that. So I am crushing on Nia Costa. Okay. Have you seen it yet? Have you all seen the movie? No, I was going to take I haven't seen it yet. No, the girls want to go, so I might take them this weekend. Okay. Okay. So I want to see it. I don't even like scary movies, but I was like, I still want to see it. I'm not hardly going to be yet. looking at it, but I just want to see it to support. So. Yeah, she dropped off again somewhere. She's having some serious technical difficulties today. Uh, so my WCW, uh, you know, for one, if you follow me, you know that I covered... Uh, some red carpet interviews that I've not even gotten through all of them yet for the black media honors that was held the 21st and the 22nd in, in, uh, in Atlanta. And when I was there, I'm telling you one of the, I, I met the most, one of the most brilliant minds when it comes to social activism, that it really woke me up to push further in the things that I want to do in terms of, you know, activism 
Her name is Nadia Fisher, and she is the publicist of the mothers and of the movement. And if anybody knows who the mother of the movement is, it's all of the mothers, Trayvon Martin's mom, Sandra Bland's mom, you know, it's all of the mothers that are standing up for social justice. And she is one of those that's pioneering, pioneering behind them. And even before that, she's been really heavy on uh, judicial reform and prison reform and mm. just, you know, even starting a nonprofit that that will that help people when they come out of, of prison because it's, it, the support really is not there. So she has a nonprofit that supports that. And even since all I think I've re- when I just did a, a story on her at the time, 102 had gone through, you know, getting assistance from her and none have regressed to go back into the system. To me, that's that's such a major thing. But Nadia Fisher, today I'm crushing on you. She's probably one of the most magnificent women I've ever known because so often what happens is when terrible and tragedies happen and we have a loss, most of us are momentary people. She's been going at it since she faced it from the time she was eight years old when her brother was, you know, in prison and given a lot of time for such a, a minor crime. So mm-hmm. she dedicated her life at that point at eight. So imagine, you know, the power that she has now. So Nadia Fisher, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm giving you your flowers and your kudos for being such an amazing advocate out here, truly, truly making a difference. So, Yay. yes, yes. And so, you know, today, I mean, you know, one of the things about our conversations, we, anybody will tell you, we're so raw and honest about our discussions. And we're really grateful when we have guests that are really ready to tell their stories as well. So today our topic is born to fail, you know, victor to greatness. And mm-hmm. I, I, that resonates with me so many different ways. But when you hear that, Cortina, especially given, you know, your past, you weren't necessarily born to fail, but you've had some serious situations that made you feel like, oh, can, can <clears throat> it just can it just go away? But you victored through a lot of them. So when you heard that that topic for today, what went through your mind? Like, wow, I feel like a page from my book has just been ripped. Because <laughs> um, like you said, although I don't, I, I I wasn't born to fail. There have been things that maybe I viewed or I could have viewed um, as failures, but I was able to use them to help me in my next level. Mm-hmm. Maybe tests and trials. Um, that I were that I was able to get over and get through that strengthened me so that when I was facing the next level trial or tribulation, I could use the lessons that I learned on the previous level to help me get through this. So I could say to myself, you know what? I've been through some tough shit mm-hmm. and I made it. And I'm still here. So I'm sure whatever comes my way, it might not be easy, but I will be able to deal with it and, and work through it and, and make it. You know, I think it's all about um, resilience and having faith and having hope, because once you lose hope, you've lost because you yeah. have nothing to hold on to. Even if you can't see it, it's just a feeling that wells up inside of you that gives you hope to continue the fight because I don't know when it's going to, the fight's going to be over, but I have hope enough to know that I'm going to make it out through the other side. So that's mm-hmm. just, th- those were my thoughts when I thought about born to fail. Okay. That's, that's so super powerful. Um, and so with that, our guest today is Yvette King. And, you know, when you hear that someone, the term born to fail, you, you have to wonder what transpired in that person's life from the time that they can remember mm-hmm. to, to present day of what shook them that made them feel like they weren't going to be enough, that they weren't going to accomplish enough, that, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to pick up that the the level of power needed to be great. So we're going to mm-hmm. bring on our guest, Miss Yvette King here. She's going to be popping on in just a second. Hello. Hello. OK, we can't see you a little bit. Lower your lower your camera some so we can see your pretty face. <laughs> hello and welcome. Thanks for having me. We- Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. How's your day? How's your Wednesday going? 
My Wednesday's going pretty good. I was a little anxious and then excited, and nervous. Now I'm probably <laughs> put it all inside that tea. Okay, okay. So you know, we we here we do like WCWs and whatnot. Who would you say is your WCW for today? Who would you like to recognize or highlight? Oh, she is famous. Her name is Sanai Latham. A lot of people call her oh. Sanai, but it's just Sanai. And okay. I'm reading an article about her. I've been loving her for years, but what made me really want her to be my WCW was I read an article about her. She almost did not audition for Love and Basketball. I would have been devastated had she not been the star of that movie. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. But why? what was it about that movie that made you really love her part in it? That you feel like there's no one else that will replace her? Because her, the the part where she came into her own and decided, I'm going to be a basketball player and nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to derail that. Nothing is going to make me change my mind. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get an education. But I'm going to be a basketball player and I'm going to be a star. And she went through it and she survived and she made it out and she ended up being the best basketball player. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's talk about our topic today about being born to fail, but be, you know, being a victor in your, in the greatness that mm -hmm. you've now become. Mm -hmm. What, what would you say was your first starting point in your mind that you felt like, you know what, I was set up to fail. I, I was born to fail. This is what made me feel like a failure. It started when my mother, my biological mother was mad at me for passing to the next grade, but my older sibling did not. And she told them to put me in special ed. And so the world wouldn't see her child as a failure, but that it was okay that I was a failure. Wow. That's, I don't even know how to feel about that right now. <laughs> right? So I, I'm going to have to defer Cortina because I saw you perk up like, wait, what? Well, I, I it just, <laughs> You know, the therapy mind that just generates so many questions. So one of the questions would be, as a little girl, like, what does that do for the relationship between you and your sister? It was my because it's all. It was my no, husband. no, no, no. But your sister, your older sister, is the one that stayed back. Yeah, your mom is the one who told them to put you in special ed classes, right? So if I'm a little girl and I'm feeling. As though, well, why would my mom do that? And my older sister, because of my older sister got held back, would that build up any resentment or animosity as you got older towards your older sister as a result of what your mom did, a decision that your mother made? Absolutely. But it was my, let me clear that. It was my older brother who okay. failed. And I passed on, but I'm younger. So they wanted me to be held back. I'm sorry if I said sister, I meant brother. Um, but absolutely, it caused a rift in our relationship. But it was one thing about him. He always protected me. Okay. And so he was the he was that little fine line between abuse and love. It was, it, it, mm. He would see the badness and he would just be like, I'm going to protect you as best I can, but don't hold me to a high standard because I'm just a few years older than you. But wow. he tried. He definitely tried. He fed me on the nights where she wouldn't feed me. He would sneak me food. Um, he would sneak and let me take a bath and things. He was a wonderful brother. He really was. He did a lot for me. You said it was. Uh, he's still alive, but uh, later on, he became kind of a, yeah, yeah. a creep, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so, so let me ask you this. What were the triggers that your mom, that you like, you couldn't do anything, right? Were there triggers that made her not want to feed you? Were there triggers that made her not want you to bathe? What were the, what in her mind were triggers to treat you that way. And it's so drastically different from your brother. Well, this is what I found out later on after I ran away from home. It was my father. She was mad because he came back and wanted to be my father, but not her husband. And mm. she, Oh, so you think you good. You think you special. And so she basically just like allowed her other children to hate me. And it was okay. 
And it was a form of, you better suck it up. You better deal with it. And you better not cry about it. But even to the, to the fact of not feeding you, that your, your, your brother had to sneak you food to make, you, make sure you were fed. Did any of this roll over into your academic area, like being a child in school where you're maybe lunch is the only time that you're eating? Because that's one of the things that people fail to realize when they have mm -hmm. children who are, you know, are not being fed at home. Sometimes school is the only place that they eat. Was that yep. your situation as well, other than being snuck food? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, it was. I literally went to school to eat breakfast and lunch. Because I knew that at least if I had that breakfast and that lunch, no matter what mood my bio mom was in that evening, I had something in my stomach. And I also learned to steal food and go to the meat market and just smile and be pretty and nice. And then people would give me food because it's like, oh, she's so adorable. And they would just give me food. So I found ways to get fed, but it was it still hurt it knowing that I couldn't go to my own house and have a meal with my biological mom and her children and that I was ostracized out of the family. So I have a question. So I'm, I, I pay a lot of attention to words. So you refer to her as by bi, my bio mom. So did you consider someone else your mom later? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I turned 30, well, it started with a teacher that okay. I started calling her. I started sneaking and calling her mom when she would say bye to the kids. I'd be like, bye mom. And then and she said, why do you always say bye, mom, to me? And I said, because I wish I had a mom to say bye to at home when I leave for school, when I come to school. And she said, what? Wow, I, that's cute. I don't have nobody to say bye to at home. And then she just, it just stuck. And she was like, if I didn't say bye, mom, at that point, she'd be like, you forgot to say bye, mom. And I'd be like, I'll run back and say bye, mom. And so Aww. it just became my thing. I had to find a mom every year. I would have to find a new mom because every grade that I excelled to the next grade, I would need an, a mom again. That's that's so hard to hear. It like, makes me even emotional that a, a child would have to go through that, you know, at such a young age. In your mind, how far back does that go? Was it starting school or was it that period of time when your father came back and let's say you might have been in second or third grade already or fourth or fifth grade? that you that these this way of treatment started happening at what grade or age were you at when she started ostracizing you and basically abusing you because that's well, a form of abuse definitely the the age that i positively remember is five but what she did was not as bad as what what happened so when it started when i was five my grandmother passed away shortly before that and then when mm -hmm. i started school you know how all the kids are excited that mommy's taking them to school or daddy take them to school my mom literally pointed to the school and told me even my dumb ass can find the school and I walked to school by myself on kindergarten day alone and I was just like I got to school all the kids getting kisses and hugs and that was when I realized I don't have a mom I don't have a mom so she would do little things behind everybody else's backs like say she met you too She'd be like, this is my, this is my baby. This is my sweetheart. Duh, 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 duh. But then when you two you're like, I didn't mean that shit. Excuse my language. But she'd be like, I didn't mean that. You know, I don't like you. Don't touch me. Don't play with me. You my, and then she even had got to the point where she told me I could only call her PJ. And, but this is what I tried to explain to people. How can a child make a demand to their own parent that they're going to call them by their initials and the parent not do anything about it? What kind of parent are you that you're not going to stop that? So from mm -hmm. eight, calling her PJ. So one of the things that that automatically goes through me is definitely detachment. So she was very detached from the relationship, the mother daughter relationship, and and in the house were other ones <clears throat> subjected to any form of mistreatment or abuse, or was it solely you? See, that I can't say because she okay. separated us within the house. Okay. So, you know how ch children are allowed, siblings are allowed to go play together? Yeah. No. She would like, like, if today was a good day, she may tell me, you can go outside and play. 
but then my two brothers may have to stay in the house. And then everybody was older than me. So the older kids, they was living their own life and they really didn't respect or care about her rules. But the four younger kids, which was my one older brother, myself and my younger brother, we had to respect everything and yeah. do what we were told. Because part of that is if I let them talk, they might get together and something will happen. But if I keep them separate, guess what? One don't know what the other one going through and they have no peer support. So exactly. that is a one, a, a mechanism that keeps things separated so that I can regain control. So it's all about power and control. And so even though she's the mom and she's older, she was able to wield her power over you by keeping you separate. And that's what keeps the toxicity and the chaos going. Because if you don't know, you can't say anything. And it's it's really sad because I thought, and I guess I was it was just me wishing that after she died, me and my siblings would become at least some type of associates, at least speak. Mm -hmm. Like I have four beautiful grown children who none of my siblings know. Wow. And my last daughter, I definitely kept her away from my, my boy siblings because they were disgusting human beings and I didn't want her nowhere near nothing like that. I didn't even want the, I, I just didn't even want to think about that happening to her. Mm -hmm. But my boy, they just said, they understood. I made mm -hmm. it clear. I was put out of the family as far as, and this is what I never understood. My mom is lighter than me. My dad is lighter than me. But I'm the lightest of my mother's eight children. And she made a difference in my complexion to them. I never understood that. Well, it's probably because she knew that you would probably in society, in her mind, would have it easier for them. So if I let mm -hmm. them pick on you, that will give you an inclination into some of the stuff they might have to deal with when it comes to colorism issues. So mm -hmm. if she herself has issues with colorism, just because she's light skinned, that doesn't mean that she got favorable treatment because maybe she was too light to be black and, you know, <clears throat> black mm -hmm. and couldn't fit in. And so her being, and again, I'm not trying to make an excuse for your mom. It's just when I'm processing it and when I'm hearing it from you, that's what stands out to me. And sometimes she's like, well, these are my other kids and she's going to have it easier because she's lighter and all of that. So, all right, I'm going to make it tough for her, just like the other ones have it tough. And so it's strange. You know, we don't know why people think and, and, and analyze it and process things the way that they do, but they do. One of the questions I want to ask you is because you endured this stuff, that seems very raw and very heavy. How have you been able to move forward in your life and not allow it to taint how you see others? Uh, originally, I did. I was able to do it because I was too busy looking for a mother to care about the stuff that was being done to me. I just knew I needed. I needed to be loved so desperately. And I was able to forego color or any of that stuff. And I was able to just look for somebody who would love me, nurture me, not abuse me, not make me feel bad about myself. Because she definitely put that in my head that I have nothing to look forward to in life. Her, she basically told me my life would just <clears throat> I would be a flatbacker and that would be the best I would ever accomplish in life. Did that allow you? So that could work two ways. That could either protect you from, you know, going and seeking love in men or force you to do that because I'm looking for validation and mm -hmm. acceptance from men because I want to feel something that I don't feel, which is love. I'm so fortunate. It did not push me towards being with men. I'm so fortunate. I'm with my husband. We've been together since 1983. Oh, great. I not want a boyfriend. I I could care less. I want the mom. That's all I was. My my hopes and dreams was for a mother. But when he came into my life, first of all, he saw I didn't have shoes in the winter, and he bought me shoes and boots. That was his first thing he did that opened my eyes to him. And then the second thing was when he found that I wasn't being fed, he would sneak to my house and tap on my window 
and bring me food. That was wow. risky. Yeah. Because if your mom would have found out, oh, that would have, you know. Yeah. So, Go ahead, Dr. Pat. So I, I have to ask, you know, um, but I think she, I don't know what happened to her again. Um, I have to ask that when you aren't in the presence of a mother growing up, naturally, you know, your body's going through changes. You, you know, who did you have or the, any of the women that you called mom or your teachers taught you how to become a woman when you get your cycle, what it really meant, you know, to develop where hair meant. There's so many transitions that a young girl makes. And for someone who is living in a house with a mother who is not being a, a parent at all, you know, and just basically saying you're either outside or in your room, I don't want to see you. How does that affect the developmental processes that your body goes through, especially when your mind is still trying to process becoming a young woman? Mm -hmm. That torment, pure torture for me. Mm. When I got my period, because I was being sexually abused, I thought it would have something to do with the sexual abuse because my biological mother never told us about periods. So I took some toilet paper and just was stuffing it in my pants. <clears throat> I don't want to get caught. That was all I knew. Newspaper, mm. toilet paper. And then when I was in I was in eighth grade because I was getting ready to graduate and go to high school, a girl friended me because I didn't have friends growing up in school because mm. I was who would want to come to my house. And that was a oh no, my mom made that clear. You not having no friends. I will ruin that. So all my friendships were with people at the park. I would go meet people and play with them and then go back home and act like I did. I just was walking around aimlessly. So she friended me and she told me about tampons. And back then it was that snap on pad thing where you snapped it on. And I'm like, what's that? Like, I felt so <laughs> stupid that this girl had to explain this to me. But I felt honored at the same time that she was willing to do that. Because normally, you know, one child to another child in middle school, we ain't looking to help each other like that. The most we might do mm. is girl be like, I'm going to walk in front of you. Tell me if you see my pad. That's yeah. about that's about it. So then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my first mom, Miss Love, she ended up sitting telling me, uh, you know, how to take care of myself, take baths. Don't be afraid to ask her. I could take a, I welcome to take a bath every day if I want one. And then we we saw a difference in me. Like my personality changed. I went from always walking head down, being mad at the world to smiling. And it was like people be like, well, you got a pretty smile. I'm like, why? And it's like, don't get the big head because your mom told you ugly. Your mom told you ain't nobody going to love you. Don't believe people when they say you pretty. Basically, that mm -hmm. was in me. So, when you, so let me ask you this. You learned at a young age how to turn off and turn on your emotions because you were happy in one place, but you knew when you walked through the door, you weren't able to. What does that do to the psyche of a young woman that's growing up? Because you're having to be like a light switch. And, and then how does that, how did that affect you as an adult with even having relationships, trusting relationships that someone out, even outside, I'll say outside of your husband would care about you? That, I, ooh, I'm trying not to cry. Okay, so I did not get my first friend who I realized loved me until I was, 15, but she was older than me and she was a mother figure. Besides her and her family, I didn't have friends. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I was afraid to trust people. I was afraid for people to know. I I felt dirty from being abused. And so I felt like I didn't want nobody else to see it. So I learned how it was very painful, very, um, I'm trying to think of the right word because for your mental state, it was not good for my mental state. Because it's like, I'm sitting here with you two, and we're listening to music, and we dancing and having fun, and then we leave, y'all go home, y'all still happy, but when I go home, I got to turn that off. I got to pretend like I wasn't having fun. I got to go from smiling and happy to, that's it. And I, I couldn't. I it couldn't, was like emotional tennis? It was worse than emotional tennis, because with emotional tennis, you can control the ball. I couldn't control mm. I had to make sure. But I mean, as far as tennis, as the back and forth, happy, not happy, happy, not happy, happy, not yes. happy. So emo you were emotionally exhausted. Yes. And 
I took on several different personalities, which didn't help because it was like I had to be mean in this area to keep from getting beat up. But then I wanted to be friendly because I wanted friends. Mm -hmm. Then I had to remember to be solemn in front of my mother because I couldn't let her see me with any type of joy because she could snatch it as soon as she could. Because I remember asking her, could I go to a party? And the kids was for me. And I'm thinking she's going to say, yeah, get out of my house. Because she would always put me out. When she realized I was going with other people, she said, no. No. It made me strip down to a t-shirt and panties and made me sit on the corner. Wow. That's hard. That's that's a lot to ingest. So let hmm. me ask, when did it turn over for you when did that that light switch click and it was like you know what now i'm i know how to love myself and this is what it should be you know because you had to figure out which you was really you mm -hmm. authentically and you know was it the damaged you that was really you and you faked being happy or was it the i'm really happy but now i have to fake being miserable or unhappy or mm -hmm. you know because one you were mm -hmm. abused so there's you have a ton of layers uh that you had to peel back so which one was that one that you said this is what's going to make me victorious even if you didn't feel like you was already there or all the way there you knew that's where you needed to be so how what was the turning cycle for you when i had my daughter i said why mm -hmm. god why would you give me a girl you knew what I went through. You knew how horrible my life was. And I'm afraid to love another girl. I'm so, mm. God said, because I want you to know you got the biggest heart and I want you to open it up. I was 30 years old. I had my daughter. I was so afraid of her. Like I was so scared I was going to do something wrong, not protect her, not love her enough, not give her everything she needed. And then I, I, I realized it wasn't me. Because I had nothing to sell at. This was an infant. All I had to do was love her, feed her, clothe her, and ensure her safety. But I was just on top with everything. Like, it could be the littlest thing, like going to the mall. I'd be like, oh, okay, I need to, okay, what I got to do? I don't want nobody looking at her. Okay, let me put two blankets over her. Like, mm. it, it sent me into a whole nother frenzy. I didn't do that with any of my boys. My boys, it was just like, okay, I got this. I know how to handle boys. I, I love boys. I like being around boys. They're fun. They don't expect me. But her, it was, I was scared that I was going to fail her and not let her be mm -hmm. a woman or hurt her and not love her. Mm. Ooh, that's What's your relationship like with your daughter today? My best friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my, my heart. Um, the other day I heard her, I didn't mean something and I didn't get a chance to have a conversation with her. Cause we have these little chats where when she's going through something, she's like, mommy, I need time. I need to talk to you. And so I told her, okay. And then I ended up on the phone and then she came back to my bedroom. Like we still didn't talk yet. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And so I texted her in the morning. Like, I'm so sorry, baby. I love you. We'll get that talk in today. And so we did get to talk in the next day, but I felt so bad because that's my heart. Like she'll do anything for me and I'll do anything for her. Like I'm so blessed to have her because really, I honestly could say this from the bottom of my heart. I probably would have just been in a gang for the rest of my life had I not had her. Because I just would have felt wow. living that life would have been best for my boys. To just, mm. It's okay to get out there and slang and do what you have to do. Make your money. And if you got to hurt some people along the way. Who cares? You know, people going to hurt you anyway. So hurt them first. So having her really gave me a whole new perspective on life. Mm -hmm. How old is she? She is 22. She'll be 23 in December. Oh, wow. Okay. If we have time, I have the cutest story about our family. I love telling it because it. So why would you tell yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead and tell it. Yes. <laughs> story. So remember this date, December twenty third and October fourteenth, because they're going to play a big value in the story. So on October the fourteenth, nineteen eighty four, me and my husband was joking around, and I had a boyfriend in school, but I didn't like the boy. I just was doing it because all other girls was doing it. He walked up to the boy and told him. That's my wife. So you enjoy being her boyfriend, but that's my wife. He asked me to be his girlfriend on December 23rd. 
I said yes because everybody told me say yes because he's going to buy you a Christmas present. So I said yes <laughs> for a gift. So here's how our story goes. We ended up getting married October 14th, 1989. Oh. And our last and only girl was born December 23rd, 1998. Wow. Oh, my God. 89, 98. It's reversed. The two dates, you know, all of the that's so numerology. Cool. Yeah. That. Oh, that's so super awesome. And one last beautiful thing about our family, how we're born. My oldest son is born on Sunday. My middle son is born on Monday. My husband and my baby boy is born on Tuesday. And me and my only girl are born on Wednesday. <laughs> it's, and here's Three of us is born in the morning and three of us is born at night. Well, well I just think that, you know, God has a sense of humor and he <laughs> wanted to send you something to say, you know what, even regardless of what happened in your childhood, you're on the right track. So I, I send you signs and I send you little things to remind you that no matter how alone you feel in the world, you're never truly alone. Um, yes. And you just got to believe and have faith and hope that, you know what, what I'm going through right now might not be ideal and what I want, but eventually if I keep going and I don't allow life situations to get me off track, or if I get off track, I'm able to get back on track. That's all I have to do. I just have to keep moving forward and find the strength within to pull myself up and and, and keep going. And so you have your daughter, your best friend, you're the love of your life, who you've been with since 1989, your boys. You've been together. Oh, married, married since 89, but yeah. okay, together well, in 83. 83. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so that's still a lot of years. That is. Um, so I, I think that's a, and I'm not going to say ending to your story, but mm-hmm. it's a nice transition to yes. the new direction that your life is now taking. I think we just, Wonderful. When you reflect back over your entire life, what's a quote that encompasses how you view it? Well, I take the word failure because that's what I felt my life was meant to be a failure. And I cut off at the L and I go, U-R-E, U-R-E that. And I live by that. Definitely love that. So, so let me ask, what is, you know, Yvette's life like now, you know, that you've made this huge change. Of course, you got the daughter, you have sons, you have the love of your life. Who is Yvette now? Now Yvette has come out of her shell. She's starting her journey to doing what she always thought she would do. And that's to just like write a couple of books about how she survived and showing the world that don't, it is painful and, but don't sit there in your pain. It's okay to have that moment and cry, say, Hey, that hurt it. Do that. Cause you got to do that in order to get to the mm-hmm. next step. But I learned don't run, walk, don't skip, don't jump. Just walk because if you walk and take your time to get where you're going, you're gonna find a lot of pleasantries along the way that you can pick up, grab with you to erase some of that pain as you keep going. It's just like swimming when you're swimming, you don't want to just jump in the pool and do the best breaststroke or the backstroke. You want to start off gradually with this, you know, wading in the water and learning the water, filling the water, and enjoying the water. And so that's what I'm doing in my life at this point. I'm making my turnaround and it's time for me to go ahead and get to the finish line. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yvette, where can people connect with you at? They can connect with me on Instagram. I'm very private. I'm a very private person, but I do a set request. Um, on Instagram at a beautiful butterfly, a underscore beautiful underscore butterfly. That's on Instagram. And then my Facebook page also is private, but they can definitely get at me on there. The name is Yvette Butterfly hyphen King, not underscore, but hyphen mm-hmm. King. And mm-hmm. if I see it there, serious, you know, somebody who I want to be involved with, I will definitely 
accept all. And then I have a Twitter. <laughs> I'm just not good at tweeting yet. But it's <laughs> awesome. Okay. And if somebody is listening to this and they want to contact you for speaking or, you know, just to come to one of their events, how would they contact you? Um, they can reach out to me via phone if they want. They, okay. They're welcome. Have, I have a other second phone number that I give out. And Oh, I, you have a, a different one. Like, this is the non-personal one that people can get. <laughs> this, phone okay. that I, this phone I'm on with y'all, this is my business. This is my for real phone number. This is my, if somebody wants to call me and talk business, and then if they're serious, I give them that number. Okay. Okay. okay, so how can people reach out? Because um, I assure you that your story is one that should be shared, that it should be told because it's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. When we talk about what a survivor really looks like, you are it. Thank you. You, you are definitely it. Uh, because to be broken at such a young age and, and find a way to put yourself together takes a level of strength that a lot of you know women or men don't have or don't feel like they have. So I can yes. assure you that your story is going to be so enriching to the community to that's going to ignite a level of change that people are not even ready for. And you know what? Can I can I um come and excuse me for going in and out? My phone was just having some type of problem, and I don't know. So I'm Louisa. Well, I'm Phoenix, a uh, Blue Phoenix. And what I want to congratulate you on is not only coming from where you were and surviving. You did not stay in survival mode. So I want to mm -hmm. congratulate you for not only not staying in survival mode, but choosing to live. Okay, so I want to be transparent for a second. So survival mode did not stop for me until I was 46. That's all right. It so, stopped. Yep. So what happened, what was the turn of events when I turned 46? I told my kids, we're not running. We've been in the same house for 12 years now. I'm a runner. And when I say I'm a runner, I've moved over 28 times. And I don't... I never believed in settling down. And I felt bad for my children because they kept switching schools. And they're like, we can't even make friends with nobody. We switch schools every year. And I said, I promise y'all, if I can get away from the people who are hurting me, I will not move again. So we were living just literally down the street from where I am now. And some just told mm -hmm. me this was my house. I, I, in my heart, I don't know how other people feel, but I felt it was God. Because when have you ever seen somebody put a big, bright pink sign in a window for a house to be for sale or rent? Mm. No. I would ride by it every day. And I said, you know what? It was February. And I backed up to the house and I stopped and read the sign. I called the number and the man told me, hey, come visit. So I came down. I had I could walk. Came down, looked at the house. He asked me one question. He said, can I see your house? I let him see my house. He said, you can have the house. He was oh. like, it's like, you can start your rent in March. You can move in now. He wow. said, four children, keep their house clean and up like this. He was like, I was expecting your house to look horrible. I was expecting it to walk in and holes in the walls. You got three boys and your house looks this presentable. He's like, you can move in. And I've been here ever since. And he lowered my rent every year that my boys didn't do anything bad to the house. Wow. Oh, yes, mm. definitely. Definitely. Well, we thank you so much for coming out, hanging out with us, sharing your story and being so transparent. Thanks. Everybody definitely go and connect with Yvette, follow her on her socials, reach out to her, uh, you know, DM her, get her number. But definitely, you know, she's definitely there to show support and definitely there to inspire. So it's always it's great to have you here. We definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. 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 All right. Yes. Thank, you. thank you. And, and we'll be, we will definitely be in touch. Okay. Definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Woo. Yo, what, what are your thoughts? That was so inspiring and so moving, like major, mm -hmm. major, major, major. Uh, yeah. We're always thankful to have guests on our show. So Cortina, where can people connect with you at? They can find me at the girlfriend therapist on all social media platforms. Okay. okay. 
I always forget we're both, we're also simplified now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Louisa? Where can people connect uh, with you? The Blue Phoenix Hills. Okay, and you can connect with me on, <laughs> on all socials at I am Dr. P. Gurley, I-A-M-D-R-P-G-U-R-L-E-Y. You can connect with uh, Herspiration Happy Hour, of course, on Facebook at Herspiration Happy Hour, on Twitter at Herspiration H-H, and on Instagram, it's now D-A-W entertainment and because we are now under the umbrella of dope ass women dope ass women. women yes and it's with the dollar sign dollar sign dollar sign uh, don't forget the money <laughs> i know and you can also follow my new kids book series at brown girl brown boy series on instagram facebook uh and on twitter it's at i think it's b G B C series uh, for the because brown girl brown voice brown yeah, girl brown too voice long. Is way yeah. too long it's like the herspiration happy hour on Twitter you get the herspiration <laughs> and the H H uh, so we de definitely thank you for stopping by if you want to be on our um, podcast send an email to herspirationhappyhour at gmail .com. We'll definitely get you all scheduled. It might be a little bit because, you know, we have our guests on here pretty regularly. And if you see, come here, be transparent, have a ball. This is a non-judgmental zone, a safe space for anybody to yep. share their story. And, you know, ladies, any final words after this amazing guest and show? The only thing I would say is sometimes when you're going through tough situations, just think about you never know who has it worse than you. So be blessed for the opportunity and the experiences that you do have, because somewhere in the world, someone is going through something worse than you. I 100 percent agree. What about you, Louisa? Do you have any last um, words for from what from what I heard, but from also reading her bio? I just want to I'm just so. Uh, grateful that she is here you know and that mm -hmm. she continued to move forward and I, I want to encourage everyone out there that are having maybe similar uh, occurrences or just some other issue because sometimes what we may feel is small is huge to someone else I just want to encourage you to try to move forward just keep going and and fighting for your life don't give up yeah mm -hmm. I you know I think my my final words would be you are not your past mm -hmm. and your past does not have to define your present and your future. Absolutely. And you have an opportunity to take hold and make change. There's, you know, therapy for you. There's, you know, outlets with your friends, but trust me, when you go through trauma, there's something about therapy that's going to uplift and get you there to help overcome and build those coping skills that you need. So, a hundred percent realize that no matter how trauma and tragic your, you know, you felt your, your life has been, you have an opportunity to make a change today. Ladies, thank you mm -hmm. so much. It has definitely been an amazing show. And, you know, as we always say, cheers. Cheers. cheers.